All right, good evening, church. Welcome to the first week of a brand new month. Uh, last week, we looked at how God collaborates with us to make progress in our salvation. It's very important for us to note that truth. Um, because sometimes Christians, we like to go to the extremes when it comes to that. Um, sometimes we think that our salvation, the onus falls on God alone. Because of God, everything will be peachy chicken in terms of the development and the growth of our standard and our faith in Christ. Others also take it to the very extreme, thinking it's all about me. They crown themselves the center of their universe. And, and both views, if you have both viewpoints in terms of your growth and salvation, you will fail miserably. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, I think, really helped us with that conundrum. It's a collaborative effort. When it comes to our salvation, we have to understand work in, work out. So who is responsible for work out? Who is responsible for work in? God is responsible for, for work in. Work in means he will give you all the enablement. He will provide to you all the graces. Because growth in Christianity is supernatural. It's not natural by any means. It is supernatural. So you will need an endowment. You will need an empowerment. And God will supply all that. Albeit, we also shouldn't cancel out uh, the human factor which comes to the workout. The workout means we will apply ourselves, train ourselves towards godliness so that we will be able to grow in the image and the likeness of Christ. Uh, we also learned the place of joy. It, it should become very evident in our Christian work. Otherwise, we will never be able to obey the command that says, do all things without complaining and disputings. Anybody you see complaining is an absence of joy. You can be happy and you will still complain. But when you, when you, when you, you allow the, the fruits, the virtue, the character of joy, in your spirits to be fully manifested and ripened, you will come to a place of no complaints. And that's, you are living a contented life. Amen. So that's very important. And the Bible said that we should do all things without complaining so that we will become blameless, we'll become harmless, we'll be, we will become children without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, and most importantly, we will shine as lights on this world. In this Friends and Family Month, I pray that may you shine as light. May you shine as light among your friends, among your family members. But that can't be made possible if joy hasn't fully been made perfect in your spirits. Amen. So we shall allow the fruit of joy to have its perfect um, manifestation in our lives. And that is what will help us to do all things without complaining, which will sort of become attractive in the midst of our friends and family. Amen. One, one thing that really strikes me is Paul never feared death because his joy was made perfect. He saw himself rather as a drink offering for the sake of the Philippians. He wasn't quickening his book. He wasn't panicking. He rather looked forward to going. That's another level of joy. He's prepared to meet Christ. Either he dies 
or either he comes and meets in my life. Either way, he's just ready. And that's an aspect of joy. Amen. I think we'll look at it a bit more in the closing chapters of chapter, in the closing verses of chapter three. Amen. Real joy also involves the eager manifestation of Christ's return. Amen. We, we then close out by looking at um, Paul's personal recommendations of Timothy and Epaphroditus. They both were faithful servants. They both had that in common. But Timothy was more of a son than Epaphroditus, right? So he learned that. So may you be commended. May you be commended. May you be commended by people. May you be commended by church workers. May you be commended by matured believers. May you be commended by people for your faithful service to God. But most importantly, may you be commended by God. I think that is the most important commendation of all than of the lips of men because men can commend you but in the eyes of God you are nobody. One of the churches in, in Revelation they were commended highly by men but they were nothing in the eyes of God. And Christ on earth even said it, that which is highly esteemed among men is abominable in the sight of God. So if we are truly esteemed in that eyes of men, may we truly be esteemed in the eyes of God. Amen. Because sometimes they are not congruent. God's commendation and man's commendation may not be congruent or on the same frequency. Amen. So may you be commended by men and most importantly, may you be commended by God. A sign of an established believer is he's of service. When a Christian matures in his faith, he will want to serve. He will want to be a blessing, especially to his local church. And then from there, he will be able to minister to the world at large. Amen. So let's move on to today's text in chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. I read, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, even anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I am also circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Amen. Let's pray. Father, breathe upon these verses of scripture. 
Holy Spirit, be the teacher tonight. Be the inspiration. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This passage of scripture read shows what truly is the source of joy and what isn't. Amen. But let's look at the first two, the first verse, um, first two verses, the bit of it. Paul said, I finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You know, he sort of was bringing his book to a conclusion. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Well, he didn't say be happy in the Lord. Rejoice. Because like I told you, happiness depends on the happenings around you. Joy is different. Joy is independence of all factors. And even though the Philippian church, they knew that Paul was in jail. They knew that Paul could face the possibility of death or execution. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul got released from prison. He, he didn't die. But the likelihood of him dying was very high. His chance of him being released from jail is probably slim to none. But yet, Paul explicitly told them, rejoice in the Lord. I say rejoice. See, he wasn't telling them to be happy because if he was telling them to be happy, they needed some positive happening. Probably, okay, but Paul has to be released from jail and that will give us a cause to, to be happy. But he said, no, rejoice. Rejoice, I say rejoice. All right? So we, we have to learn how to rejoice in the Lord. And what we've just read, the first six verses of chapter three shows us how we can really rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Now, verse two is very interesting. He says, for me to write the same things to you, it's not tedious, but for you, it is safe. You see, so... These truths that we read in the book of Philippians, it probably was not the first time the Philippian church had heard that. They may have heard it from Paul in person, in speaking, in ministering, because, mind you, he pastored that church. Probably he preached this message. All these truths, he has preached it to them. But now he's put it in writing. And it says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. But for you, it is safe. The nature of doctrine, the nature of strong biblical teaching is it is repetitive. Okay? That's the nature of biblical doctrine. It's repetitive. So sometimes the tendency for you to be bored with it and, and wanting something new is very high. Paul is saying that for me to write that, don't let it be tedious. Don't be tired of hearing you are saved through grace by faith. Don't be tired about it. What, what else do you want to hear? Don't be tired about we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Don't be tired about it. Because for me to preach these sentences, let me even use the word publish. Because when I say publish, publish means both preaching or writing. 
for me to publish these same things, it's not tedious. Don't be tired of it. And sometimes this is how ministers be, become pressured to err and be false teachers. Ministers become pressured and, and they become false teachers because they always have chase the uh, uh, adventure of wanting to say something new other than the scriptures. Wanting to say something deep, wanting to sound more philosophical, and then they err from the truth. And it's also pressure from the parishness. So Paul is saying, don't be tired. Doctrine is enjoyed, but it also has to be endured. Go with me to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three. Song, song, owner. It would be nice if you type your name. I, I will wish to know your name. And you can type your name in the chat box. Welcome you after the service. Um. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, I read, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So you have to endure sound doctrine because it can be tedious. The nature of it is that it can be repetitive. And human beings are such that sometimes we don't like monotony. We don't like routine. Sometimes we get bored. Sometimes doctrine. I've been saved by grace through faith. Okay, that's true. What else? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, what else? You have been forgiven of your sins. Okay, what else? When it comes to a point whereby you are... Okay, I understand that I want to go somewhere else. Be very careful. It's danger. You could easily end up in error. But according to their own desires, they, they, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. See? So it's a very strong warning. And sometimes if you're a minister, one of the things that we all like is we don't want to lose people. If, if you like to lose people, then I don't know why you are called into this. One, we all don't want to lose people. Two, we want to gain more people. That's every minister's desire. Every minister wants to gain more people and don't want to lose people. It's a healthy desire. Then why are you in the ministry? If you really want to lose people, you shouldn't be here. Honestly. We are here want to gain more people. We want to gain more people through the gospel. We want to disciple more people. And we don't want to lose people. But sometimes we can compromise that by succumbing to pressure of our audience. 
Because now the Bible lets us know that in the last days, people are going to take for themselves teachers. They are not going to allow God to appoint to them, this is the teacher, this is the pastor, this is the shepherd for your life. They will rather heap for themselves teachers. Why? Because they have itching ears. They want to hear something. They can't endure sound doctrine. Therefore, Paul is talking to them in this same spirit in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Don't let it be tedious. You may have heard me saying this before. I may have preached a series on this before, but don't let it be tedious. You have to learn how to endure this because it is safe and it is to your advantage. Amen. So we got to learn how to endure doctrine. Okay, we got to learn how to endure good teaching. It is safe. There is nothing new under the sun. As Solomon will say, there is nothing new under the sun. And sometimes our desire, if it's not really aligned with God's word, can let us go into error. That, that is how false teachers and false ministries emerge. Yeah, I want to say something new. I want to say something that nobody has ever said it before. And most times you can't even find it in the scripture. You come back in the scripture, you are gone somewhere. That was how Mammonism started. The Church of Mammon, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, which practiced Mammon religion. I want, I want something new. The adventure, it led to something completely different. So we should learn how to stay within the parameters of truth, within the parameters of scripture. God in his wisdom knows why he gave us 66 books. This is all that we need. All right. Anything that the Holy Spirit will tell us, it always has to be in line with this. Because the Bible says, if it's not in line with this, the prophets who speak, if they don't speak in line with this, they are speaking darkness because there is no light in them. So we have to learn how to make sure that all our messages, revelations, experiences, sensations that we have, it has to be strictly governed by God's word. And don't be tired of preaching the same thing. Don't be tired of saying the same thing. It is safe. As a believer, don't be tired of obeying the same thing. It is safe. Paul is saying it is safe. Don't be tired because it can get tedious. It can get repetitive and it can get boring. But remember, it is for your safety. It is for your grounding. It is for your growth and salvation. When you've been in church for some time, I'm like, you've never been to church before. Everything will be peachy king, sound new for you. But when you've been in there for some time, you realize the same thing. What is new? And that alone should really make you careful. It's a trap of the enemy. Amen. So learn how to anchor your feelings, your desires to go on a wild good chase in God. Some of the best preachers I've heard, they just preach the same thing. One of the ministers that really blessed me is Kenneth Higgin. Today, I don't know, I thought about him a lot. Same message. Same. 
from 19 whatever he got saved so 2003 he died see never changed the message never changed it stayed very focused another man i can think of is apostle price my wife and i we really watched apostle price a lot you know on youtube all the time we watch his messages you know it's it's our pastime we just like to listen to him it's same message and he will tell you this is what god called me to preach and of course, he was a pastor. God called him to minister the whole counsel of God's word. But as an apostle, I think he had a specific message he wanted to minister. And, you know, he just, it's true. You know, any, any, any strong biblical minister, sometimes you'll be able to predict them in terms of doctrine. It's the same. Just, just become faithful to the word of God become faithful to the Bible. Amen. So like Apostle Paul is saying, endure it. Don't get tired. It might sound tedious, but it's for your safety. Safety in the sense that it will ground your faith and it will help you to grow. Amen. Now, let's move on. Verse 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. You see, this word dog, you know, the word dog in the New Testament is used five times. Two times it's actually referred to real dogs. All right. So like uh, Luke chapter 16, where the Bible talks about Lazarus, Lazarus and the rich man. You know, the Bible lets us know that there was a poor man called Lazarus. Um, he, 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 he was poor. Dogs came to lick his sores. He had nothing. And there was a rich man who wore purple, wore fine clothing. And the Bible lets us know that one day all of them died. Both. One was in the bosom of Abraham. The other was in torments in hell. You know, that story. There were dogs there. It's a literal dog. And the second time that word is used in since 2 Peter chapter 2. Where Apostle Peter says that uh, if someone goes back to his sin, you've been saved, you go back to your sin. It's like a dog going back to its vomit or a soul that's a pig, a soul wallowing in death after taking a fresh bath. So that's the second time that word dog is literal. It's talking about an animal, a pet, a dog that we all know, Ricky. All right. But the other three times, they are figurative. So I think in Matthew chapter 7 was the first time that word dog was It was actually figurative, right? And that word dog means an impudent man, a man of an impure mind. Jesus said, cast not your pearls to dogs. He wasn't talking about, you know, a pet. He's talking about don't cast wisdom your pearls during those times pearls were precious if, if it was today jesus would have said diamonds or something but during those times it was pearls that were precious don't cast your wisdom things that are precious to you your wisdom don't give it to men who are of impure mind and who are impudent people who are wicked okay an impudent man so that's what it means the, the last time that word dog is used is in revelation chapter 22 
The Bible says that outside our dogs, that's outside New Jerusalem, outside our eternal destination, our dogs. That word dogs has an interesting meaning. It's not just an impudent man, it also means homosexuals, sodomites, right? So dog is literal and figurative. So when Apostle, Apostle Paul uses the word dog here, he's talking about beware of people who have impure mind and who are impudent. People who are evil, beware of the mutilation. Now, what mutilation was he warning them about? Circumcision. In the Old Testament, for you to identify yourself as a seed of Abraham, on the eighth day, every male child had to be circumcised. That it was a sign. Now, now we do that for biological purposes, but in the in, and the, in the Old Testament, it was done for a spiritual reason. It was a sign that God had made a covenant with the house of Abraham, of which you are part of, especially if you are Jew. So that 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 status became the dividing line. And, and became some sort of like the strata in society. It, it divided. It divided. So Apostle Paul, and, and the funny thing was that it was also linked to you calling yourself righteous according to the law. So it, did, it didn't just determine your lineage. It, it, it also determined your salvation. You are righteous according to the law because you fulfilled the circumcision. And now when Apostle Paul started preaching his message that that is not needed to make you righteous, but what you need to be called righteous is to confess Jesus as your Lord. And when you confess him as your Lord with the heart, one, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. When Apostle Paul preached that message, it brought a lot of confusion. Legalists didn't like that. It, it kind of felt like you are promoting something different than our forefathers, especially Moses, our forefather Moses um, brought. So that was like a bone, a bone of contention. It didn't really go well. And it also took the focus off man and placed it on Jesus. You don't have to do anything to be righteous. Just need to believe. It was too good to be true. They said sometimes when things are too good to be true, be careful. It might, it might not be real. But in this case, it was too good to be true because it was really true. You don't need to do anything. No sacrifice. You don't need to circumcise. Now, you can circumcise just for biological reasons, but you don't circumcise for spiritual reasons or circumcise to identify yourself as part of a certain lineage. All that is not necessary. What is more important is that you confess Jesus as your Lord with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is what it takes for you to be known as the righteousness of God. 
Now, when Apostle Paul, wherever Apostle Paul went in his missionary journeys, these were the people that severely opposed him. Legalists, Judaizers, they really opposed the message. They didn't like the message. Because many of the Judaizers, even till now, still don't see Jesus as Lord. They see him as like son of Mary. That's as good as he is. He's not even a savior. This is a criminal. He died a common criminal. And resurrection, who told you he resurrected? His body was taken. So even now, that thought is still a stronghold among Judaizers, right? So so that, that was a problem during Paul's day. Wherever he went on a missionary journey, he faced these same people. And now Paul is not there and he's telling him that, beware. Beware of men with an impure mind. Beware of men who are impudent. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation. Beware of people who will come and subject you back to the law, telling you that it is through circumcision of the flesh that you can become righteous. It is none of that. Now, Apostle Paul says in verse 3, that is not important. Why? Because we are in the circumcision. Why are we in the circumcision? We are in the circumcision because God has circumcised our hearts. Now, open with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. I'll come back to Philippians chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 36. This same scripture is sort of repeated in Hebrews chapter 8. All right, let me start from verse 25. Now, this is God speaking. All right, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel delivered it to the nation of Israel. And this was what God told Ezekiel to tell the people. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Now, clean water here is a figurative expression. It's not literally talking about clean water. Amen. Jesus is the living water, all right? So now he's prophesying about a savior. Now, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit with you. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. So when Paul talks about circumcision, this is the circumcision. There's a circumcision of the flesh. This is circumcision. We walk in the circumcision because our hearts have been circumcised. So in the New Testament, when we talk about circumcision, we are not talking according to the order of Abraham. We are talking about circumcision of the spirit, which has to involve the heart. The Bible lets us know that a heart of stone will be taken. 
a heart of flesh will be given. That means we will become receptive to God. We will become receptive to his commands. Okay? And then we will have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only dwells in a heart of flesh, not in a heart of stone. And when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, that is when the transplant took place. Like I was preaching about the ministry of reconciliation, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Why? Because we had a heart of stone. But the Bible says in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, loved us. Raised us up from the dead. Now, when we were raised up from the dead, the transplants took place. We now have a heart of flesh. So when you're a Christian, you have a heart of flesh. And the evidence of that is that the Holy Spirit lives there. And that is why you are able to obey the commands of God because you have a heart of flesh. So we have experienced the real circumcision. It's not circumcision of the flesh to identify with a lineage. It's not circumcision of the flesh to attain righteousness of the law. We have now experienced circumcision in the spirit. We has to do with our hearts, the posture of our hearts, the posture of our response. And on top of that, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So Apostle Paul is reminding them of that. We are the circumcision. So don't let an impudent man come and lure you back into circumcision of the flesh because we are the circumcision. Who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So Abbas Paul is putting this to their remembrance. So we are Christians. We worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have no confidence in the flesh. The law makes you have confidence in the flesh. I, 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 it's about what I can do. What can I do to please God? I have to do this. I have to do that. But when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, the new covenant, it's about what Christ has done. What the Holy Spirit can do through me. Okay? It's, it's different. You, you don't become the focus you don't become the emphasis or the attention. The attention shifts. Don't have confidence in the flesh. Amen. And Paul said, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So listen to Paul. He doesn't have confidence in the flesh. But if there was someone who could have confidence in the flesh, he could circumcised the eighth day. So Paul is saying, I'm not saying all these things, not because I've not enjoyed these benefits. I'm saying all these things because I was once there, I have left there, and I have come in a new dispensation. Now he's explaining. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel 
of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, Israel had 12 tribes. Paul is saying that I came from one of the tribes, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not a Gentile. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. So Paul said, I rose up according to the law to the highest office, which was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I was zealous. I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But Paul, with all these things, do you know what it didn't give him? Two key words in our verse today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Verse 1, rejoice. Verse 2, rejoice. So Paul didn't rejoice. I'm sorry, verse 3. So verse 1, rejoice. Verse 3, rejoice. And Paul is telling us that we should rejoice in the Lord. Do you know what will make you rejoice in the Lord? Religion will not let you rejoice in the Lord. Because religion will make you have confidence in the flesh. You will not rejoice. Paul, despite all this, all this criteria, he didn't rejoice. He did not have true joy. He only experienced true joy when he was in Christ Jesus. That is why he could use the phrase, rejoice in the Lord, verse 1, and in verse 3, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Because truly, real joy can only be found in Christ Jesus. That's where true joy is. That is where you will experience what is called the joy of my salvation. You will not experience the joy of salvation if you live according to the law. So one of the ways to become very depressed and lose your joy is to go back to the law. Because when you go back to the law, the Bible lets us know that you will have confidence in the flesh. And what good is it to trust in the flesh? Paul answers something. In my flesh, there is no good thing. Is this what you want to put your trust in? And if this is what you want to put your trust in, then you will never have joy. So today's scripture should really admonish us to cease depending on our flesh. Stop crowning your flesh superman. Stop believing in yourself. Eject yourself out of the cockpit of your life and then allow Christ to be in there. Because that's where you experience true joy. Some Christians are not experiencing the joy of salvation because some way, somehow, they have managed to mix the law with grace. You are not going to enjoy. You are not going to rejoice. It will be very difficult for you to rejoice because then Christianity moves from relationship to becoming rule-keeping and loss and performance. And then when you, you find yourself in rules, law-keeping, and performance, the next thing that you have to do is that you will be an actor. Because you know I don't measure up. So I always have to put up a front in front of people. And that was the Pharisees. They always put up a front. 
but truly they couldn't experience joy because they didn't understand what was called the joy of salvation. So Apostle Paul said, there is nothing good. He could boast, but all these things didn't produce joy. He came to realize that real joy is found in believing in that carpenter who walked on the surface of the earth for 33 years, who died on the cross, who has been exalted, been made Lord, and he has been given a name that is above every name. In him is where we find true joy, not the law. Amen. So if you want to really maintain your joy, learn how to live in Christ and worship God in spirits because that is truly where you experience joy. You will not experience joy in law-keeping. And that's why Apostle Paul uses such a harsh word for them called evil workers or dogs. And in the Jewish context, to use that term was like the highest form of insults. Wasn't a good word to use. Like when Jesus said that it's not fit. You see, another way he, another, that's, that's where, like I said, that word dog is used five times. Another uh, instance when it was used, when Jesus called the Sire Foundation man a dog, the highest form of insult. What's the highest form of insult today? Just think it in your head. That, that's a Jesus, Jesus used the highest form of insult to the woman. A dog. I don't know, I was not offended. Not offended. So, okay. I'm a dog, but when the crumbs fall off the table, it's just as good as the food on the table. I'll take that. Man was smart. Okay. So, the law. Whenever we go back to the law, we will lose our joy. Because we have to know that in Christ Jesus is where we find real joy. Amen. So when Apostle Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord. You can only rejoice in the Lord when you worship God in spirit. And that is where you will truly find joy in the spirit. But when you decide to go back to the works of the flesh, go back to the law, whereby you want to crown your flesh, as the God of your world, you will lose your joy. You will never experience what is called joy. That is why it says rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in Christ Jesus, not rejoice in the law or rejoice in Moses either. Amen. So i like to end here, all right? I want us to spend the next nine minutes and, and focus on our prayer today. Amen. So I want to believe that we've learned something tonight. Uh, think about what you've learned when the message is recorded. Just take your time and listen to it and pray that, Lord, may I experience joy ever abounding. Amen. God bless you.